Hey guys, welcome to the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. I'm your host for the ad space. This is Kevin Estella, the director of survival training. And just want to recognize a few of the companies that make these awesome podcasts available to you. And that's through their advertisements with us. So first company I want to recognize is Black Rifle Coffee Company. Now, if you guys haven't heard Black Rifle Coffee, veteran-owned coffee company, they are growing like crazy and for good reason. Uh, they make some fantastic coffee. They're employing a lot of veterans. They are really, really good friends of ours, uh, located right over the hill in Salt Lake City. And they're always at our events. We're always at theirs. And we're very proud to call them friends. So if you guys go to their website, blackriflecoffee.com and use the coupon code CRAFT15, you'll get 15% off of your first order. Um, but now that does exclude some of the limited edition coffees, some of the ready to drink beverages, stuff like that. But you'll see what it's going to apply to and 15% off is fantastic. So please check them out. Another company that makes this totally possible, a company that we are very, very close with is Kafaru. I've personally been using Kafaru packs since 2006. I've taken Kafaru packs to Alaska, to Africa. I've taken them all around the country. Um, I've been using their Whoopi, their pullout pouches. I've been using all their stuff for a very long time. I've gone camping with the previous owner, Patrick Smith. I've gone camping with Aaron Snyder. Um, I know the guys over there well. They live the life that they're that they're living with the packs that they're they're creating. And I'll tell you something, they are as genuine as they come. So please visit the folks over at Kafaru. You're not going to find a better backpack out there. Um, their website is kafaru.net, K-I-F-A-R-U.net. And like I said, um, just phenomenal gear. Everything from sleeping bags to shelters to packs, you can't go wrong. The last company I want to recognize is Triarch Systems. Uh, the good folks over at Triarch are magicians when it comes to firearms, and they will take standard pistols and rifles and make them phenomenal custom firearms. Please go to their website, triarchsystems.com. Use the coupon code FIELDCRAFT, and you'll get 5% off of your next build. Now, if you guys have never shot a Triarch, say Tri-11, uh, you're in for a treat. These are guns that I will put side by side with the most high-end pistols in the world, and they will shoot lights out every single day. Phenomenal, phenomenal craftsmanship. Good friends of ours, please check them out, triarchsystems.com. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. This is Austin, your host for today's podcast. Super lucky to have our friends, the Epic Family Road Trip, joining us. Uh, we're going to be talking about a lot of things, mobility, preparedness, and talking about their journey and their overlanding experiences and crazy stories you guys have got uh, <laughs> about some things and your uh, mobility experience and and preparedness journey of your own. So it's it's really awesome. Uh, this family comes and they've become good friends of ours and uh, have come and hung out with Mike a handful of times and uh, saw you guys at Overland Expo. So we're really excited to uh, introduce you to everybody out there on our end. And, uh, and yeah, go ahead and introduce yourself if you don't mind. Yeah, my name's Peter. I'm the dad. And I'm Carol, mom. Yep, and I'm Peter Jr. So Peter Jr., that's a good one. I like that PJ. I had a good friend, PJ, growing up. Mm. Um, so let's talk about, let's dive in here, and let's talk about where you guys got started. Because this isn't like, sure, I know a lot of, <laughs> I've got a lot of friends that are into, you know, being outside. They like to do the thing, you know. and But this isn't something that you see a lot of is a, a whole family 
that has a gang of Jeeps and you guys roll out and dirt bikes and you guys do the, you do this thing and this is all you do. This is your life. Yeah, it's become a way of life. And we didn't introduce Caroline, my daughter, and Daniel is yeah. our second son. Um, so we're a family of uh, five. <clears throat> we, we, me, my wife, three kids, and a, and the dog. And we've been on the road now for we're coming into our seventh year wow. and um, doing m- overland travel and off grid living. Um, and our favorite thing to do is get out in into the back country and explore. Yeah, that's so awesome though. It's like, and I think a lot of people do it as a hobby. Uh, including myself, I'm I'm a hobbyist into overlanding. I'm a hobbyist into spending time outside. Outside, I mean, I'm fortunate now in my life I get to do it professionally. You know, yeah. with search and rescue here and and for fieldcraft. Yes. Um, but you know, it's it's something that's really interesting. I think there's so many people that play on the line of like, man, I really want to do more, but I don't know how. And I maybe it's something I do on the weekend, but I, I got a family. I don't know really which way to go. And I think you guys have been doing it right for a long time. Um, so talk to me about how you got started in this whole journey? Yeah, I mean, initially it was a dream we had to get out and spend, um, I actually wrote down a dream. I said, I was in business at the time, working really hard, traveling a lot, no time for a vacation. So when someone challenged me to write down a personal dream, I said, I I would love to be able to go for three months on a road trip with the family. I gave myself five years to, so I could punt it down the road a little bit. (laughs) And, uh, I, you know, I had seen some of the great parks back when I was younger and, and me and Carol wanted to give that to our children if we could. And, and so we wrote the dream down and we kept it in front of us. And when the opportunity presented itself, it was about seven years later, <clears throat> not the five, we didn't, you know, achieve it within the five years, but right. about seven years later, <clears throat> I was able to, uh, our, me and my family were in business and we, we got acquired by a company and that was the the time it was that, now or never yeah and so when you guys found your interest in in everything it was all throughout that time so you guys were doing it and that's where you found your love for it just while you were even working on your own yep yeah we tra- we loved traveling together as a family yeah. so initially we went into a, a, a motorhome because that okay. you know when we were getting out of a house situation you know yeah. you, you've got all the comforts of home and you got the four walls and a roof over your head to jump right into hardcore overlanding might have mm-hmm. been too much for us. And our kids were really small back then. And as parents, we wanted that feeling of security. We're, right. gonna, we're going into the unknown. We're going to places we've never been. Yeah. We don't know uh, what we're going to see. So <clears throat> that gave us a feeling of a bit of security to ease into this lifestyle. But over time, and we thought the kids, you know, would over time want um, more luxury on the road. Yeah. Get, let's get a bigger motorhome. Let's, you know, have something with plush seats and mm. screens all over the place. It was exactly the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. We were towing a Jeep at the time. And when we parked the motorhome, unhitched a Jeep and went exploring, that was what we really enjoyed to do. And so we we delved into that more and we put the RV into storage and it's been there pretty much ever since. <laughs> That's awesome. So what, what were you guys thinking whenever, Whenever all this kind of came about, were you guys like, or was everybody just like all in? I, I really enjoyed it at first. We had yeah. had the opportunity when my dad was in business to be able to accompany him on business trips. And that was always so much fun mm-hmm. getting to travel and get to see other places and yeah. always spending time as a family while we were exploring. So getting to go out and do it in even cooler settings, you know, yeah. way in the backcountry or yeah. you know, places fewer people get to go to was just more fun. Yeah, definitely. And as a mom, um, I know how my mom would have <laughs> thought about that. As a mom, what were, what were your thoughts? Like, what were your initial concerns? Oh, um, 
yeah, I had a lot. <laughs> I, I was more on the quiet, kind of more like, guys, let's think this through. But seeing how it made them so happy, I was all on board and yeah. on board. And um, I just wanted to, yeah, just be with them and learn new skill sets. So yeah. that kind of pushed me to be out of my comfort zone. Yeah, definitely. And and so it, the concerns are kind of the thing that everyone shares, right? Is everybody thinks about, it's easy to say like, there's all the problems. The hard part is coming up with a solution. Yeah. And it sounds like you guys were able to do that. And I think the way that you were able to even think through the transition, right? Like that's smart. A lot of folks want to say, oh, let me just jump right from my you know, home and then right into you know, a va- into van life or yeah. into Jeep life and, and thinking that it's going to be an easy transition because it's not. It won't. It won't be. And it, it might be too much. And that's what we're afraid of. If we're always encouraging families to do this, what we're doing, even if it's not full time, go out on the weekends right. or spit, do a long trip together if you can, because it's so rewarding as a family. But don't necessarily jump into the most hardcore thing right out of the gate because yeah. you might have a bad experience and then you'll never do it again. Right. We'd rather you ease into it you know, similar to what we did and went from the motorhome down to one Jeep when the kids were small enough to actually fit in there. And, <laughs> um, but we outgrew that situation really quick. Yeah. And we had a trailer, adventure trailer, all four, oh, you yeah, know, yeah. was able to go mm-hmm. behind wherever the Jeep went and put our gear in there. But then, um, of course we've evolved over the years and yeah. went to two Jeeps and then we outgrew that as well because now everybody's an adult, everyone's a driver. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to sit in the back seat. Yeah. Right? So, um, <laughs> That's where the boys added the adventure bike idea. And they've had that dream for some time. And um, we said to them, yeah, as parents, I mean, we had some reservations reservations to that. We were like, um, man, those things are, you you have to develop some skills. They're they're dangerous machines if you're not skilled. And so we said, um, we're we're all for it, but you guys, you know, earn the money. They're not cheap either. So they worked hard and they kept that dream. Partly why we said that you guys earned the money to buy it or most of it and we'll kick in was to see if it was a real, more mm-hmm. than just a flash in the pan. Right. Hey, I watched a cool video. I want to get into bikes. Mm-hmm. Man, year after year went by and the dream never died. It was just as powerful, if not more. So wow. when the opportunity came to buy bikes, they got them and they did some training. That's you know. a that's a good That's a good lesson right there, even for me, because... What I heard you say when we first started, and I don't want to skip past it because it's really important. I think a lot of people can take away is that you wrote down the dream, right? And you talked about it. And that's almost, you know, in a lot of ways, that's manifesting something, right? right? Like it's, okay, is this, and, and that ties in just with the, even just the adventure bikes. And you could apply that <clears throat> really in a lot of different ways in everybody's life, but, yeah. and try not to get too philosophical, but it kind of is, right? And where you manifest saying, hey, I'd like to be able to do this. I'm going to write it down. I'm going to make that a goal for me. Yeah. And then you doing the same thing, but even you're imparting that on your kids. That's a that's a really powerful thing. And I, I don't I mean, thinking about that just in my own life, um, I've even done that in a lot of ways with the things that I do. I've always said growing up, you know, my parents did that with me. You know, yeah. I was in Boy Scouts when I was a kid. I've yeah. always loved spending time outside. Yeah. And then that's exactly how my mom and my dad did things with me. And it's so interesting to hear that because um, you know, I told my parents, Hey, I want to, I want this car when I, when I turn 16 and they're like, well, uh, if you don't buy it, you're getting the old geo prism that we've got <laughs> yeah. sitting on the driveway. And I was like, well, all right, I'll start with that. But they told me the same thing. Well, we wanted you to earn it because we wanted to see if it was real or yeah. if it was just mm-hmm. like something you thought of for yeah. just a second. Yeah. I think that was, would you say, or how instrumental would you say that is into the success that you guys have had? I think it's huge. Um, like you said about, 
having the dream first and foremost is, is important in articulating that, especially as a family. What Someone had challenged me. I was in business and I knew my corporate goals. And they said, what are your dreams and goals? And I rattled off my corporate goals. And she said, I know you know that. What are your dreams, your personal dreams for you and your loved ones? And that was a new exercise for me. And I said, what do we like to do as a family? And so we wrote down the dream. We also pinned it up where we could see it on a regular basis. Because if you keep it top of mind and you review it, we do our corporate goals as a team every month. And it just hit me one day. I was like, we need to do that as a family as often, if not more often. And so we'd review our family goals. And what happens when you do that is life starts to go in that direction and you start to make decisions, not, you know, unconsciously make these decisions that lead you in the direction of your goals. Mm. Uh, Otherwise, I don't think it would have happened. We'd have sold the business and your natural instinct is what's my next career? What's, how do I take this to the next level? Where do we go from here? And you miss out on that opportunity. So, wow. That's really interesting. So that's, that's an impactful thing just for me. I hope somebody else gets something from that, but, um, and then the other piece to that is like you said, so people start doing things, aligning with those goals and dreams. Well, what ends up happening and from my experience and just with my experience in teaching and my experiences with uh, search and rescue, as I see people in bad circumstances, they've almost done the exact opposite mm. of that, where they didn't put any forethought. There was never any anything further than like, oh, I want to do this, right. go do this. And then that usually leads to a lot of mistakes. It leads to a lot of painful lessons, unfortunately, sometimes with people's lives. Yeah. And, and I don't want that to sound like some dramatic example, but it is kind of the opposite end of the spectrum where people do something impulsive. They make a decision that then impacts them or a loved one for the rest of their life. But if you do the opposite where it's, it's planning, right? Where yeah. that manifestation of, of a dream even is a planning phase, right? So it that's, is. it's pretty awesome stuff. Yeah. It all ties into that idea of being prepared. Yeah. Um, if you've had that dream for a long time, by the time you get there, you're, you're more prepared as well. You're not just jumping wildly into a situation. So. Yeah. You know, in terms of, um, I was a volunteer firefighter for 15 years and I learned some good skills there that gave me the confidence to go. And, um, you know, that hopefully I could handle if we got into some kind of a Mm. medical situation, especially when you're going way off grid. I mean, if you're doing the RV life, going to RV parks, you're never that far away from Mm. help or people, but we find ourselves in Mm. some pretty hairy conditions and (laughs) and places and we're off the grid. We haven't had cell service in days and we're relying on satellite for communications and we're relying on ourselves as our own first responders yeah and that's and i mean so the 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 volunteer fire um that's so i that's where i got my start at 17. that's where i got i got started 17. oh no kidding (laughs) they don't do that anymore i don't they don't no so i actually did well i actually started my application when i was 16 and then joined when I was 17 and then was volunteering. And I was the guy standing on the road with a vest, directing traffic traffic. control. (laughs) Yeah. Traffic control. And I was watching, you know, I was all into it. And then I started the EMT program at 17, actually finished before I was even 18. Mm. So I couldn't even hold my credential, but that set me on a path early in my life that has helped me be really successful in all those endeavors that I've had. And part of it's that manifestation piece we talked about, but the skills that you learned in that, it, it gave you, it's given me at least a very broad perspective of, of what's possible yeah. uh, in the world and, and the bad and the good. Yeah. And so I, how much did that play into your decision-making th- throughout this process? I think it was huge. It, if I would encourage anyone who has that opportunity to take it, mm-hmm. um, we're traveling so the kids 
can't go and join a volunteer fire department, but mm. they can find that same fulfillment other ways. Yeah. For me, it was being able to, the, the, the feeling and the fulfillment of being able to give back to your community is one thing, but the amount of situations you find yourself in and how you have to make decisions in, in when everything's going wrong, and, you know, between fires and motor vehicle accidents and all the other situations. So, yeah, I think it was a big part of the decision-making. I, I just went into it with the confidence. Yeah. And we, we encourage families all the time to get out there and do what we're doing, but I, I don't think we have in the past enough encouraged them to prepare for it first. Yeah. We don't want to send a family into a situation where they're stuck in in a, in yeah. a snowstorm in the mountains and they can't get out of it. We want you to have those adventures, but be fully prepared first. Absolutely. Know what you have on your vehicle. Know what you're going to do when things go wrong. Make sure you have comms so you can talk to the outside mm -hmm. world. Um, there's a lot of things we could talk about, you know, yeah, how to yeah. prepare for that situation. <laughs> but yeah, prepare, yeah. being being uh, prepared for it is, is very, very important. Hey guys, we're just going to interrupt this podcast for a moment to recognize another one of our sponsors, and that is Athletic Greens. Please visit athleticgreens.com forward slash fieldcraft. And if you use that link, you'll get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Now, Athletic Greens is something that I started taking probably back in March, and I've been using it pretty consistently since then. And you know, in addition to taking a multivitamin, living a healthy lifestyle, it's just really, really great to know that, you know, I'm getting a lot of my greens in a single drink that I can prepare in a matter of seconds in the morning and I can choke down super fast. Now I've had a lot of green drinks in the past that taste like garbage or they taste like I just wrung out, you know, a whole bunch of lawn clippings. That's not the case with athletic greens. Um, you're actually going to like the flavor of the green. So, you know, they say you can mix it with anywhere from like what, six ounces, 12 ounces of water. Um, it really doesn't matter. It's, you know, it's really personal preference, but around eight ounces of water is what I usually use. And I'll tell you, it's a great way to start the day. So please check them out. That's athleticgreens.com forward slash fieldcraft. You'll get a free or one year supply of vitamin D uh, and five free travel packs. And so as you guys kind of got started and you made that decision, you jumped into it and you're doing it kind of full time, even in the RV. Um, I'll ask you guys the question I'm sure a lot of people are thinking is, how does this work if you don't always get along? How does this work? I mean, I, you guys and I know, you know, you guys come and every time I've seen you guys, you guys have some great synergy. And I, I know that's been built over years of spending all of your time on the road together. Well, obviously, I mean, not every family is always like. Uh, cheery, right? Sure. And everything's always great. So how does that work? You know, it's got to be tough. We could probably all speak to it from yeah. our different perspectives. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, from my perspective, like especially with my brother, it's at, it, at the point we're at now, we don't even call it arguing. Yeah. And that's kind of, it's funny when we meet up with people because you'll hear us like bantering back and forth on anything. And, um, but we're never like mad at each other. Mm -hmm. That's something that's developed over the years traveling is you don't have time to be fighting with each other. Mm. It's just going to make any situation worse that you're in. So if you're already stressed out about something that's happening, how is blaming someone else or getting mm. mad at someone going to help? Yeah. You know, so you just, you quit doing that and you learn to quickly work with each other. To they, they call it discussing. Yeah, we call it discussing. We're discussing, <laughs> we're discussing <laughs> something and it might get loud. Yeah, exactly. So, it, yeah, honestly, I, I can't think of a, time recently like any actual bad situation that we've been in or a harder situation i've mm -hmm. never been mad or 
sad about something. We're just yeah. trying to work through it as yeah. quickly as we can. And that's yeah. really key, what he said, and I'll let you share your perspective, but um, it forces you to communicate. You're now in a, in a home, something comes up, um, I gotta run to the gym, I gotta go to work, you're off with your friends and we'll deal with it later. And you, and you never do. Like, yeah. 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 You I escaped the scenario where I had to actually <laughs> deal with it. Yeah. And then, Mainly because it had to do with me. I needed to change or I needed to communicate better. Mm. Um, and I think that's why we kind of avoid it. But when you're in this situation <laughs> all the time, kind of thinking and yeah. working as a team, you yeah. can't do that. Yeah. And you realize every situation can be solved just within yourself. Right. You can yeah. figure it out if you, don't get annoyed or whatever. Yeah. You know, you can awareness is a great skill set, but self-awareness is the hardest one to get, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know. But if you're wondering about this lifestyle, anyone watching this, um, it will force you to deal with things and for the better. I mean, because mm -hmm. it just it creates a family dynamic that I don't think you could get very easily in Definitely. different type of situation. Yeah. There's no escaping. Hmm. Back in the day when we did the RV in year one, um, you know, we always say if a teenager gets mad, you, you run from the conversation, slam the door in your bedroom and go sit, yeah. right? Well, here there's only one door and it was in the, the, <laughs> the restroom. <bathroom. laughs> <laughs> slam the door and you're sitting in the toilet room. Yeah. Maybe. Two <laughs> inches away from everybody else. Yeah. It's not exactly. so cool anymore. And then you come back and you have to yeah. conversation. You walk out of the bathroom. Yeah, it's not too so. yeah those are interesting <laughs> lessons for, for, for young folks to learn, right? And, and for everyone, if you haven't, but especially at that age in your life where um, – you're starting to feel that like sense of independent right. being independent and wanting to do things your way. And it's like, and that, and I don't care how good a kid is. They have this, you're going to get this because it's healthier, this sense of like, I need to find my own identity away yeah. from my parents or yeah. not entangled with my family. Right. It needs to, especially as a guy, I remember that really early. I mean, I remember being like 13, 14 feeling that way. And so I know that's gotta be something that, maybe played a role for you. I don't know. What were your feelings and thoughts around that? Did you ever feel that way? Uh, I I don't know. I always uh, loved the lifestyle that we're in. Mm. It was everything that you could want. I, like what you'd imagine as a kid or a guy, especially yeah. is what you'd want. You're out in the outdoors. You can go out and camp. You're encouraged to go out and camp and bushcraft and do whatever you want. Yeah. So I never felt like uh, I wanted to get out of this. You know, it's yeah. such a hmm. incredible opportunity. I I think for, for a short time, I always wanted to join the military. Yeah. But then what changed that for me was I got diagnosed with type one mm. along on our journeys. We were actually in Yosemite when I did. And that obviously bars you from military service. What that kind of showed me was it made me look at other things that because part of it maybe was that like you're wanting to go find your own identity. Mm -hmm. So I'm still doing traveling and adventure and cool mm -hmm. things and some kind of service in the military. Yeah. But then getting type one forced me to look at what I'm doing right now and the opportunity that gives to go travel, experience yeah. adventure, but then also be able to serve people. Yeah. Especially doing it with something that supposedly limits you. Yeah. Being able to keep going out and do it was, I felt was more like a, a gift than a burden. Yeah. That's awesome, man. That's a really good way to think about it. That's an interesting perspective. And, you know, that, that leans itself to seeing the way that your parents have raised you in that. And because, you know, I'm the in-betweener here, right? I think I'm closer to Caroline's age uh, out of your family, but, um, it lends me to see how you're saying that as something that I know is a direct reflection from your parents. And so where do you guys think um, when you see him or you hear him say things like that? Um, that's not that's not normal stuff for a kid. How old are you? 19. You're 19. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's not a normal thing for a 19 year old kid to say. Right. No. At 19. I wasn't saying stuff like that. Me either. I can tell you that. <laughs> so where do you think that comes from? 
Man, I mean, anytime we hear that, and especially when he first got diagnosed, he had that attitude right out of the gate. And we just, we said, well, we're not that cool that we could have taught him that. So, <laughs> I mean, I, but my dad always taught me too, things are caught more than taught. So hopefully that's a reflection of how we've raised him. Um, but yeah, that's such a great attitude. And maybe that comes from the struggles we went through on the road. Mm -hmm living on the road is not going to be the easiest life. If you're choosing easy, if you're looking for comfort and easy, that's not what it is. We did so many resorts back in business world mm -hmm. and fancy pools and fancy <laughs> suites that we said, man, for us, a vacation isn't that. We want to struggle. We, we see explorers crossing poles yeah. and, and they're in pain the whole time and they're suffering, but it's yeah. such a feeling of accomplishment when you yeah. achieve it. So that's what we thought would be at a vacation. Our first thing was to go to Oregon and climb South Sister, which is a cool. trekkable mountain. You don't need climbing skills. Right. And you do, I don't know, six, 7,000 feet in elevation in one day and back. And we all made it to the top. In fact, Dan got there first. He was only 11. Nine. Nine, really? Yeah, first time. Yeah. And he made it to the top and just, uh, it was just such a bonding thing for all of us. Wow. And we got, we climbed, you know, we got to the top and Dan was cheering like this and they yeah. said, wait a minute, we still have to go down. <laughs> <laughs> so we rested up and, and then yeah. went down, but they, they, we were living off the feeling of accomplishment and yeah. the endorphins, I guess, for, for days. And so we tried to replicate that all the time. You know, hardships can be seen as, as hardships or they can be seen as great opportunities and yeah. we've kind of taken that approach yeah and that and that's something that people can adopt that mindset and you can you can hear other people say it you can i mean you can hear anybody you can watch a video you can listen to music whatever it is that gives you that feeling to where you get motivated to do that but you're never going to really truly understand what that means until you've been there and you've done it yeah. and then you've done it again yeah. and again and again because i i talk about that a lot just when I teach or in social media or whatever, because you never really experience like that freedom of being out and doing something until you know you can do it and you can do it the right way. And you don't, I don't have to worry about things that are outside my control anymore because I'm prepared for them. Right. Like I don't have to think about it like this daunting cloud over my head because it's like, hey, whatever comes at me, I'm ready for it. Yeah. And it's, mm -hmm. and, and that's where you find that. For me, I find a fine line between being confident in a skill set, um, being prepared with all the equipment and mindset that I need and skills. And it not, I don't mean that to sound in any way arrogant, right. but it's like, I look at it as instead of, oh, this happened to me, it's like, oh yeah, this happened to me. So mm -hmm. now I get the opportunity to do this, right? Yep. And that mindset is so powerful in survival and preparedness and all things, right? Like there's so many examples of, of, of guys, especially like during Vietnam, World War II, that were in survival situations where their mindset, they had very little formal training in survival, but because they had the right mindset of saying, hey, bring it on, Which, yeah. what else you got for me? They right. were able to get through a situation. So hearing that from you guys, again, I think ties into how you're able to be resilient when you guys are out and you're facing adversity or something really difficult. And, it, and then you add the family dynamic. I know that if I took half the problems I have in my life, and then I involve my parents. <laughs> I love my parents to death, but I don't know that that would help the problem yeah. or if it would compound it, right? And yeah. so that's definitely an element to that. Yeah. And it, like, it, over time, you get better at it. Year one, we probably were didn't have the dynamic we have now and coming into year seven. So going through these struggles and challenges and we start learning how to work more as a team and you develop the the competence and the confidence mm -hmm. to go now. We... we yeah, there was a time when first time in grizzly country, I, Carol didn't sleep 
Yeah. No. Or you <laughs> <would. laughs> and, um, and now we, we go into that situation not um, carelessly and not yeah. without respect for grizzlies. We, we respect them, but we're, we're not as afraid anymore. We know kind of what the situation is, right? Mm-hmm. I talked about just recently um, a big old um, tarantula walked into our camp you know carol's cooking dinner and it's it just like kind right of by my walked feet. right through <laughs> so I'm like, oh. for people that don't know about them you you only know the horror story so yeah. you, you're afraid and um, people we put on a video and comments were saying you know that's why we don't go camping but that's just because you don't understand the situation you respect the tarantula but if you understand how it works you're not going to be so worried about mm-hmm. it it's not going to come and bite you for for no reason right. and and so on and that's just kind of a small example of all kinds of things from grizzlies to other people yeah. um in uh, third world countries and other places the unknown creates that fear i guess to a certain yeah. extent but the more you educate and train yourself and put yourself in those situations you the fear goes away and the respect remains. Yeah, definitely. And we kind of talked about this briefly earlier where, you know, when you're in that in-between stage of like, I'm just getting the ball rolling on whatever it is. Maybe you're, you're new to going outside and hiking and, or hunting or overlanding, whatever it is, as you first step into that skill set, well, you don't know a whole lot. You just know what maybe you've digested off of, uh, you know, YouTube off of a podcast whatever it is. And then you're going out and you're kind of testing the waters, right? Right. Well, that first bit is like where it seems scary, but then as you start to do things and you gain a little bit of momentum, you start to gain that confidence and then you gain the competency. And then as you become more proficient in skills that you're learning, even on your own, even if it's not formal training, that confidence becomes the script that you're going to follow now. Well, now I know I've been in grizzly country 50 times. I've had five interactions where there's been grizzlies in close proximity to me. And now I see what happened whenever I follow these steps. Right. Oh, okay. I did that. Right. I kept my trash, you know, not just sitting right outside my vehicle. Right. Mm-hmm. I didn't keep my food just hanging out. I didn't have my latrine right outside the car. Right. I started doing things the way that were the proper way to do things. And now I'm like, Oh, this does work. And so then that becomes the script. And when you follow that script, I've, all, I've become a fan of saying in the absence <laughs> of action, there's fear. Well, that action is your verb. Whatever right. that script is you have, well, that's what you get to now and act on. You don't have to be afraid anymore. You yeah. get to use the that physiological and physical response that happens from fear and actually use it to your advantage. Yeah. yeah. And the more that script is in your in your head and in your being, you act on it quicker and it becomes Absolutely. more. It's, you don't have to think about it. You just right. know what to do. And that's where like preparedness actually becomes part of your lifestyle. Right. It's not just something that I'm like, oh, I have this preparedness gear I'm going to put in my car. But now it's like, oh, no, I know I need these things. Oh, I know it's just a part, like you said, it's part of your being. Yeah. A a practical example of all that in overlanding is recovery. Mm -hmm. Uh, What happens if I'm way out by myself and and I get stuck really bad? You know, I've got the winch, but can I get myself out of that situation and get back home safely? A lot of people have that fear. And and until you practice it, until you've done some training, or once you've had the chance to do that, that fear completely goes away and you feel you understand how capable the, the machinery yeah. is, how to use it. And we've had opportunities over the years to do that. Um, often people with winches, uh, you, you use them to pull other people out most of the time. <laughs> and that's good training too. That Absolutely. was our case until um, the day came where we really needed, you yeah. know, our winches and then yeah, the training is uh, never leaves you. Yeah, and I, I want to talk about that because I heard you you briefly were mentioning that to, to Mike earlier when I walked in. And um, 
it, it sounded like it was a pretty wild situation. So you guys, what I heard was you guys were headed into Colorado, right? In the winter. Um, we were up, this particular yeah. situation was in British Columbia, Canada. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. So way out in the mountains. Real north. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. North, the uh, high elevation mountains, wilderness area. Um, yeah. We hadn't seen a, like, we were on logging roads, so wow. I hadn't seen a paved, paved road in a long time. And um, and we're doing our thing. Uh, it just, it was a normal day, nice sunny day. Um, we're moving down the roads. And we're like, do you want to go that way or that way? We had a basic idea in mind to get to this town called Elkford, which was over the mountains. Okay. GPS said, oh, it's about an hour and a half over the mountains. <laughs> we're like, oh, we could do that, no problem. But we pull up a road and there's a snow avalanche that had come down earlier in the winter and covered, completely covered the road. So my first thing was, well, that's the end of this. We'll, we'll turn around and find another route. And of course, we have teenage boys, <laughs> teenagers with us. They're like, what do you mean the end of the road? That's, let's do it. I'm sure we could cross that or let's at least give it a good try. So I thought, oh, okay. I was in the lead vehicle. I said, oh, I'll, I'll put it in four and see how far we get. And sure enough, I started climbing that avalanche. And I was like, we could probably do this. <laughs> yeah. What were you thinking, Mom? Um, crazy kids yeah (laughs) pretty much at this point yeah i don't like if everyone's it's kind of works as a team if everyone says yes and you're the odd one saying no i mean no i trust their judgment and i was like we can do this and i i kind of was uh looking for adventure anyways and caroline was getting some awesome photos so (laughs) i was just like everyone's having so much fun i'm not going to spoil that yeah right yeah what do you think you would have said seven years ago i don't know I, I would have like probably just started walking back. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the um, end of this one. But yeah, so everyone was happy, so I, I just totally went with it. Yeah. And it kind of did feel like we awesome. can do this. Let's yeah. put it to the test, like our machines and everything. Yeah, because now you've uh, – and as you – because the way I – I'm a very visual person. I'm a creative, so I always think about things very visually, but – um, what I see it as kind of like the scale, right? And when you start, you're in this, you've got like a green zone, a yellow zone and a red zone. And in the beginning, you like to live in that green, right? And then as you start to get a little bit of skills, you start stepping, you tiptoe into the yellow, right? Well, and then you get into the yellow and you start to realize, oh, I can do this. And then, and then you push right around that green and the yellow line, right? Mm-hmm. Bouncing back and forth. And then you gain more and more skills and experience. And then it's like, cool, I like to live over here in the yellow side a little bit more. And then you start to find where the balance for those of us that like to really push the envelope is somewhere on that the edge of that yellow line before you tap into red. And mm-hmm. you have to tap into red a little bit before you realize, mm, maybe that one stung a little too much. That was right. a little too close that I'm too comfortable with. And then you, you find that little livable area uh, where preparedness and confidence and skill sets all culminate mm-hmm. and you're like thriving and you're like <clears throat> accelerating, you, yeah. right? You're not hitting the, ga- the brake anymore. You're on the gas pedal. And it's yeah. like, that's where that feeling that we're kind of describing is like, that's where I find it to be. It's so we're in that adventure that, yeah. in that zone right there. Yeah. yeah. And so like now it sounds like this seven years into it, you guys have found that sweet spot, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I knew we had the two vehicles. One would go up, test it. Mm-hmm. The boys were working really hard because they wanted to make this work. I mean, <laughs> they were like moving the max tracks. We had finding logs and branches. And I guess I got so busy and what we were trying to accomplish um, that I kind of forgot about that, you know. Yeah, I, I knew the that the danger of it, or what was going to happen. It's that whole thing about action. We, you know, we're yeah. we're moving, we're do, we're executing on the plan. Now we committed. We're going over this thing, 
And um, once we made it over, I mean, we were just it was elation. I was like high flies, and, and like and we just like, crossed an avalanche. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like how often do you get to drive over an avalanche blocking a road? Yeah, and then we looked around, and we're like, whoa, now we're on this side of the avalanche. You know, we might we'll as well keep going. Yeah. yeah, and so we carried on into the mountains, and uh, and it was back to uh, gravel. So it looked pretty good, but we didn't realize in our in all our joy and our chatter over the radios that we're climbing quite yeah. high into the elevation or into higher elevations. And so we get into a bit of snow and then deeper snow, mm-hmm. and um, we just kept pushing. Yeah. We had this goal in mind. Now, like Carol said, though, and if anyone listening, uh, you know, we don't encourage someone who's just getting into overland with overlanding, and you're out with your family. And you see an avalanche, don't necessarily go across yeah. it. But we had the confidence of two vehicles, well-equipped vehicles, mm-hmm. and a certain amount of skill at that point. Yeah, you know, that, um, so we had enough food for weeks. We had two fridges and plus backup food and emergency yeah. food. We had propane uh, enough to keep our propane heaters going mm-hmm. for a long time. So you know, food, water, shelter, all that stuff. Right. We have filtration uh, units for for filtering water out of lakes. Um, we have. Um, fuel tanks auxiliary fuel tanks on mm-hmm. both vehicles plus um other auxiliary fuel so yeah we knew you know we were pretty well prepared for right. that situation all right guys one more sponsor before we wrap up this podcast and that's element please visit the website drink element which is spelled dot com forward slash fieldcraft. And if you do that, you will get a free sample pack as long as you just pay shipping. And that's probably only going to be about five bucks or so. Now, we have a bunch of Element drinks floating around here uh, at our studio and at our headquarters. There's zero sugar. Um, there's no crazy artificial ingredients or coloring. And you'll find out that a whole bunch of folks use Element. Uh, these are folks from various law enforcement um, departments, various military units, Um Olympic lifting teams and so forth. And of course the folks over here at Fieldcraft. Uh, so please check them out. Their website is drinkelement.com forward slash Fieldcraft. Pay about five bucks and you're going to get a sample pack that has eight packets of assorted flavors and all you got to do is pay shipping. So, all right, back to the podcast. So we talk about, and in, in when we teach survival, we talk about five basic needs of survival. So, and these needs apply anywhere in the world, anytime, whatever the circumstance, right? So personal protection, sustenance, uh, the ability to signal, uh, and the ability to be recovered. And then there is health and hygiene is the fifth one. And so as long as you can support all five of those, mm-hmm. um, and you have the equipment, the mindset, and the training that apply to all that, yeah. you can support yourself through whatever. And so mobility gives you that ability the ability to carry a lot of extra things that you couldn't necessarily have on your back and it gives right. you a and if you're creative and or if you've got the equipment actually outfitted in the right car it's like super easy right yeah. and, I, and I don't want to say easy it's super simple simple not easy yeah. and so when you have that ability that gives you that confidence to go on and take on those kinds of adventures right it does and and it, it maybe you push in further than you would without those things yeah. but it was an adventure and we carried on up the mountain and we said this is going to be super hard we're not going to mm-hmm. you know the the way the snow was it was spring snow and it was ice mm-hmm. like ice pellets yeah. so we're you know despite our great tires and four-wheel drive and all that stuff we're still spinning so we'd be doing winch after winch after winch up mm. we always thought get over that hill and things will start going down <laughs> yeah. the other side yeah we always sure thought enough, that multiple yeah. multiple false summits on that one oh. 
And then we went as far as we could and the sun's going down. And this and is all in one day? It turned out to be three days. Whoa. Yeah. yeah. So an hour and a half in the summer to go over there with no snow, yeah. but it turned out to be three days. Wow. So the first day we were exhausted, sun's going down and we're stuck. And we're like, well, we're camping here tonight. <laughs> so we yeah. popped the tents. We're in grizzly country. I mean, we, uh, the boys walked into the bush a bit and then they see a, a trap line. Some, some guy was running a trap line mm. and there's a cougar or something, a lynx, a lynx in the trap. Wow. And I, they were going to harvest it, it had perished. But I mean, we were, we were like, okay, we know we're up in the, oh, yeah. we're in the back country now. And then in grizzly country, they say, never go near a carcass. We're like, well, we're stuck. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so it was a bit sketch because also the snow is up. So you can walk on top of the snow. So our, our we always take comfort in the fact that we're way up on top in these rooftop right. tents, but all of a sudden now they're a little closer to the yeah. ground. You find bear scat mm. around. And we know it's not black bear. The The difference between black bear and grizzly bear is the uh, grizzly bear scat has uh, bear bells and it smells like pepper spray. Mm, yeah. <laughs> that's a that's a joke. But yeah. <laughs> it smells like pepper spray from all the hikers. That's right. Um, so what so what's your protocol for that? What do you typically do? What was kind of your mindset around? OK, we're in bear country. What are your precautions when you're camping? Yeah, I mean, you do the cooking a lot of the times. Yeah, we are really, really clean. And I was spraying down everything and trying not to make any scent. So we did really simple meals that would only last maybe 15 minutes to cook at max. Mm. Um, and then we use like aloe boxes and they're really bear proof, airtight, like no for storage. Scent. Yeah, for storage. Gotcha. Um, and then especially with Pete being type one, we bought him one of those um, bear um, bags bear bag, okay. so yeah. that he can keep uh, sugar, juice boxes, things yeah, like that. Yeah, whatever he needs. In, in the yeah. yeah. So bears are attracted to scent. But what we tell people, there's a difference between a national park bear and a completely wild wilderness Definitely. bear. The national park bears are pretty accustomed to people being there. In fact, they'll come into camp looking for mm -hmm. food. A wild bear is has one thing in mind, and that's keep away from humans. Mm -hmm. So it's it's different. Mm -hmm. They will they'll come for a carcass if they think that's their carcass and you're yeah. in their territory, and other things. If you scare them, you never want to startle a mother bear, right. especially. Um, but in general, there they we saw tracks around the camp, but they mm -hmm. didn't come in. Another thing we we do is having this many people will mm -hmm. be a, you know keep them Definitely out of camp. Advantage. We, we have protection and especially uh, bear spray is very effective. Mm -hmm. um, that's always, everyone has one or two or wearing them on your person. Mm -hmm. But the number one thing is cleaning up after meals. And so. not taking food to bed, no snacks. Yeah, definitely, like yeah. Yeah, I've been, uh, I've always been taught, you know, what is called like they, they call the 200 foot rule. I've always made it the 500 foot rule, yeah. which is where my latrine, well, where I cook and prepare and eat food and then where I sleep are all 500 feet away from each other yeah. um, in proximity. And so that way I never have to worry about, um, you know, cross-contaminating one with for hygiene, but two, uh, worrying about predators walking yeah. in for one thing and then being right on top of me in my camp, right? right. So, <clears throat> and then I've always heard uh, from our friends that at the Eastman's Hunting Journal, they've always said bears are bullies, right? If you've got something that they want and they think they can take it from you, then they're gonna come bully you and try to take it from right. you. So. Uh, keeping that kind of a mindset for me has always helped me be very um, cognitive of being in bear country and how I'm going to 
you know, act and react yeah. in those situations. So that's an interesting perspective from a, especially from a mobility standpoint, um, because that does give you an advantage being up high in a tent, but when you're in four feet of snow, you lose half yeah. your advantage. I remember walking around that night going, oh man, we're not as high as we normally are, yeah. but uh, all went well. We carried on the next morning, um, winching our way. We'd get times where we could drive, you know, 100 feet without getting stuck. Oh, we'd yeah, celebrate. Get a little bit of hope and then mm -hmm. boom, yeah. right back. Yeah. So what what was your mindset as that started to happen? Because that's – so for you guys, and I hear you talking about it and I see your faces, you guys are having fun. You guys are making the most of this experience. You're like, dang, this is awesome. That predicament for most people is a survival situation mm -hmm. or an, at least an emergency. And yeah. most emergencies uh, that go un – you know, untreated or they don't um, react appropriately to the emergency becomes a survival situation. So that usually for most people, uh, when they hear that and they put themselves in your shoes in that sort of circumstance, they're saying, uh, I don't know that I'd be high-fiving and having fun and doing that whole thing. So for you, where were you at on that meter for yourself? Because it's you're <clears throat> out way in the back country, mm -hmm. you're in grizzly territory, you're in another country, you're not in America. And so, and then on top of that, you only have what you got. So where were you on your meter and how did you feel? There were times where we, we weren't high-fiving. I mean, we were yeah. feeling it um, when we got bogged down mm. and we were a couple two. days into it, day two. Mm. Uh, I remember waking up, was it day two? And we heard rain on the tent. Mm. And I thought, well, this is the end of the whole thing. We're, we're done. That's when I did or, kind of break down. And yeah. I, I started crying, but I just leaned into him and I was like, He's like, it can only, it, it is, what what was it that? Uh, it's either going to be the end of the journey here and we're going to have to call someone in for help or it could be the best thing that ever happened to us. Mm. Yeah. And I kind of took that approach and, and it was snowing just above us, like dumping in the higher, oh, just yeah. a thousand feet above us. But what the snow did was, this is after two days of, of yeah. all this work, um, it started to change the consistency of the snow mm -hmm. from ice pellets to more of a packing snow yeah and um better traction all of a sudden the top layer of harder snow because what would happen is like the because it's all melting there's like mm -hmm. water underneath it right so there's like a space between the snow and there so a few times where it got really rough for the jeeps and taking them out was uh we'd be driving along and then it would sink down yeah, further yeah. than it would in the snow like it fully collapsed mm -hmm. up to the frame so we'd sit there oh, like some one time we sat there for like four hours digging it out laying on the ground shoveling oh. it out from under the frame because your wheels yeah. are all spinning and that happened a few times throughout there but with more rain that started to happen it kind of yeah. gave it a better layer there but there were times where i leaned on carol and i i was she was positive the whole time and that yeah. kept me going yeah and i always try to be positive the whole time but i'm also battling it in, in my mind worst case scenarios mm -hmm. and what do we do but we were also prepared we had satellite communication yeah. so i was sending um to my brother actually um our gps coordinates mm -hmm. and he's and you can text back on right. you know like a garmin mm -hmm. inrich type thing He's like, oh, cool, that's really neat. He had no idea what was going on. I didn't want to panic anybody. Right. We were we were cool. I had a plan in the back of my mind. I Absolutely. Mean, and so, yeah, um, we battled that ourselves. I, I can't speak for you guys, but uh, in from my perspective as the dad there, and I kind yeah. of feel the whole responsibility, I didn't want to create another Donner Pass situation, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, I relied on these guys, and they they all pulled their weight and not only physically doing the hard work, but also just keeping the spirit up. Yeah. Um, okay. Carol has a little trick. You can share yeah, it. I keep um, 
chocolate bars somewhere in the Jeep and they don't know where because otherwise it would <laughs> not last long. But yeah, I, I remembered and we were just all exhausted and we weren't stopping for lunch anymore because right. we were just trying, trying to get, get out. And I was like, aha. And I got those Snickers bars and I broke them in half for them. And my goodness, that changed the mood of everybody. <laughs> it's it, was, it was funny. Almost like yeah. in commercials, you know. But yeah, it's just something yeah. sweet, something that you associate with good times and yeah. in the worst situation you can be in. And it just made us pause a little bit, yeah. made us talk and about we it. And kind of rethought things and regrouped yeah. together as a family and kind of was like, okay, what are we doing? What's working? What's not working? And then, uh, we move forward from there. Yeah, yeah, so on the last, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, because uh, for us, like Dan and I especially, <clears throat> we were walking basically the whole day with mm -hmm. the winch lines. Mm -hmm. So we'd be picking trees or spots to winch from. And one thing that added to the, I guess, the struggle of that mountain pass time was that we were prepared for desert times. This was like right as COVID had just started. Mm. So we were down in New Mexico and we're all dressed for desert. Yeah. Exploring around there. And then within two days, we drove from New Mexico up to Canada. And then we got into that situation. So we didn't have the, Hammered. the yeah. winter gear, you know, I, we all had desert boots on and just little thin pants and everything mm -hmm. while we're going through there. But you're walking in, up to your knees most of the yeah. time and your ankles through icy snow yeah. all day. Mm -hmm. So that it it was just another challenge to that. But it, I don't know. We didn't even even at that. It, it sounds weird, but we didn't think of it as a bad thing, but it was yeah. more just like a an added something to test it. Yeah. So it was fun for Dan and I. We kind of put ourselves <laughs> we put I guess we kind of caused the situation by wanting to go over the avalanche <laughs> and then continue going. But uh, so because it started fun and as an adventure, in my mind at least, mm -hmm. and I know for Dan, it it just felt like it was a test throughout the mm -hmm. whole thing. Yeah, and that's – so it's interesting that you even bring that up because that is – I mean, and we talk about this all the time in our own uh, things here at Fieldcraft, but the mindset is obviously extremely important yeah. in the way that you approach and handle the, the survival situation. So when you – are out there even in in saying like hey we were in two days from desert into this well you know a lot of people might sit back and say well oh you weren't prepared for that environment okay well hold on hold the phone because here's here's what i do know is that when you adopt a preparedness lifestyle it does it doesn't you have forgiveness in aspects of other places where other people might not because they haven't adopted it fully. Maybe you say, well, I'm a hunter. I've been hunting my whole life and I have all these things in my bag that I'm prepared for anything. Well, you're prepared for hunting. You're right. prepared to go out on that trek, but then you go back to your car and what's your preparedness level there? Well, you get home, what's your preparedness level there? And as you incorporate this into a lifestyle is where you gain the forgiveness in other aspects, right? Mm -hmm. So you saying, well, we're in a little, you know, in desert gear and gear that wouldn't really been ideal for that environment. Well, what you did have is tons of food, tons of water. Mm -hmm. uh, you had all the uh, ways of heating your vehicle and keeping yourselves warm. You had all the stuff to f build fires and build shelters if you needed to do those. All the equipment to actually continue to recover your vehicle. And then you also have a communications plan yeah. where you're able to maintain contact with someone outside the situation, keep your head, and then... And then worst case, it's like, okay, hey, I think we're to a point uh, as a group where we're exhausted or whatever, uh, and we can't keep going. Well, let's punch punch the button, get some help. Because knowing you have the lifeline is like a level of confidence in and of yeah. itself as well, right? And yeah. a kind of comfort level, but I, I didn't want to use it. Like yeah. it would, that's last case, worst right. worst case. So we pushed on. Um, and we I made a mistake of not restarting my GPS. So it was on pause, but... And, and I don't know if this is what happens in survival situations, but one road went that way, but this one was going down. 
it and looks so pretty compared just, to the other like one. We made it. I mean, that's <laughs> the one going down, and we took it. And then after a couple of miles, I said, "Can you uh, check the GPS?" And I realized it was paused, and we were going the wrong way. Mm. And um, Dang. yeah, and that's Downhill. when I had a, a moment there of just like, okay, I mean, it's either hit the button or we got to come up with another solution. And we were in a clearing at that point. Typically, when we have trees beside us, we're confident we can pull ourselves out. Yep. We had nothing to winch to, not no rocks, just white snow. And um, so I, I just said, okay, we're going to make an attempt to turn around here and not get stuck. Mm. And so I just did like a 35 point turn and got the thing <laughs> turned around because you couldn't it was just deep soft snow everywhere else and then i squeezed beside the other jeep like the tires were squeaking and just going up on each wow. other that's all the room we had and then using that packed area turned the other jeep around so we never made it to our destination but we said okay we have enough fuel to get out of here and that rain on the tracks that we just made um should we we should be okay and so we we also joined the two jeeps together with a mm. line a long line I went ahead and if I got stuck, Pete was in the vehicle behind me, he could pull me out and then I get some slack, I could make a run through it. Yeah. And if I get through that obstacle, he would get stuck, but I'd be ahead so he could, I could pull him out. Wow. And we just buddy teamed it all the way out and uh, got right back to the beginning. And it was a lot faster going out than in, obviously. <laughs> um, less winching and digging. And then we got back to that avalanche and we had to cross it again. <laughs> but at that point we were so elated. I literally, yeah. I didn't kiss the ground, but I was like, I was felt like gravel. that, you know? Yeah. Gravel Grab the gravel. Like, yeah, <laughs> so hard is grabbing gravel and just, oh, I love this stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> and, and sure enough, we, we made it over the, because we had created tracks coming in, we made it back over the avalanche. And that night, and we were out of gas at that point on one Jeep, um, even the auxiliary, wow. um, just on fumes. And we said, let's drive as far as we can and we'll camp for the night. Mm -hmm. The other Jeep is newer, better fuel mileage and everything. Mm. I still had a half a tank in my auxiliary. But we got to this river camp. We just saw a camp by the river. We parked there that night. And we had that feeling again, like felt we conquered the mountain. We did it. We did it. We could have avoided that whole thing. So mm -hmm. maybe that would have been the smartest thing to do. But we took the challenge. We pushed ourselves beyond our comfort zone. And man, what was it an amazing feeling. Yeah. The next morning, we, Carol and I got up early and drove. I don't remember how long to the nearest fuel we could find wow. back to civilization. And we filled a bunch of jerry cans and came and got the other vehicle. That's so awesome, man. That's, yeah. and, and that's an example of doing it right. And in a lot of ways, there's lessons that can't be learned through success. There's some lessons that have to be learned through failure. Yeah. There's some lessons that have to be learned through, well, that didn't work. Uh, well, that didn't work either. Well, let's just turn around um, and pay to play another day. Right. Yeah. So, and when, whenever you have the ability and you've prepared for um, whatever you can think you may experience, that's what that gives you. It gives you the ability to take on the mountain, gives you the ability to take on an adventure and do it with confidence and say, hey, you know what? Um, I think we can do this. Let's see how far we can get. And then, again, being that yellow, yeah. tiptoeing to the red a little bit and say, mm, this is stinging a little too much. Yeah. Let's go ahead and back back out, uh, get somewhere where it's a little bit safer. Yeah. get somewhere and, and, you know, pay to play another day. Because I mean, that to me is, I don't get to see a lot of those kind of stories just because of what I do here. Um, I see a lot of those, those same kinds of, uh, adventure feelings by a lot of people, but they go out, they're not prepared. They go, they get there, they're stuck. And then they call for help because yeah. they've got nothing. They, there's so many folks that I go out to get, they probably wouldn't make it even a few days out there. 
um, with the amount of stuff that they have. Mm -hmm. They might make it overnight and then they're, then they're in bad shape. Yeah. And so when I hear good examples of those things and, and I, there's nothing about what you're telling me that I can even think from my search and rescue perspective. That I'm like, Oh, well I would have done this differently or, Oh, I would have done that differently. You nailed them. Right. So you had, you're supporting all your five basic needs. Uh, you know what you're doing in your vehicles, you know how to use all your recovery equipment and you know that you know how to do those things. And that's what gives you the ability to, to take all that on. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's awesome for me to be able to hear, man. That's an awesome story, <laughs> you know? And the cool part is you guys do all this and you film most of all your experiences. Yeah. Do you, yeah. Do you have a video on this whole thing? We do. It's over three videos. Yeah. Wow. And we filmed most of it enough to really tell the story. Yeah. There were moments where we're laying four hours under the thing and we're like, the batteries are all dead. Yeah. You know, because we're managing charging okay. batteries up there. We had our solar panels up there. You know, we we're doing everything we could. <laughs> we just strapped them to the roof. And we were taking <laughs> turns where, you know, some of the some of the team is sitting there with their feet up on the windshield with the heater on full board yeah. trying to just get ready for the next <laughs> go yeah, at it. And some yeah. of that didn't make it on, on the film, but the, the three videos are tell that story really well. Yeah, you get the man. feeling of being up in the mountains. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and it's so cool because I I mean, knowing your guys' personalities and how you guys have this, you know, I don't want you guys to think that they're putting on for the camera because you're <laughs> not. This is this is them. This is you guys and and it's awesome to see that because it's in a, you guys, uh, and I know you don't want me to say this, but it's true, but you guys are an example for what other folks should be doing. And you guys are an example of how to do it the right way. And so uh, I appreciate you guys telling the story. I appreciate your time doing this. And we filmed a whole bunch of content. I know you did with Mike. So we're excited to put all that stuff out. Um, where can where can everybody find you guys? Uh, yeah. So the channel is called Epic Family Road Trip. So you just search that up or just yeah. EFRT. <clears throat> you search that on YouTube and our channel comes up. Um, so our main platform is YouTube, um, but we also have a presence on Instagram under the same name, Epic Family Road Trip, and that whatever we post there is mirrored on Facebook or whatever they call it these days. Um, <laughs> and the boys recently started, since they got their adventure bikes, they started uh, their own channel. I mean, they still cooperate with uh, Epic Family Road Trip, um, but they're telling the same story from their own perspective, from, perspective. From, from the back, from the saddle of a adventure bike. Yeah. And they call that Adventure Guys. Wow. And so they're producing weekly videos. That's awesome. Weekly. Good for you guys. Well, guys, thank you for your time. And you guys at home listening to this or watching, go follow these accounts. I promise you won't be disappointed. Go check out this video and the story. And if you need an example of how to do things right, you need an example of someone to follow. These are your folks. And, and you know, if you're new to these spaces, you got questions, you're trying to do it and you want to get into it. These are the folks to ask. So yeah, um, reach out to us. There's ways of communicating on Instagram, DM us, or, you know, in the comments on YouTube. And we'll uh, be happy to, we, we'd enjoy communicating with you. Yeah. And for us, inspiring other families to do things together um, is what we, you know, that's what drive. gives us excitement and, and keeps us going. Yeah. Because uh, there's no experience like it. You won't get the same experience just Definitely. sitting in your house. Oh, for sure. I mean, you guys are the the modern Swiss family rocks. <laughs> so it's, it's awesome to see. So thank you guys again for coming on. Uh, and telling your experiences. And I hope you guys all learn something uh, from their experiences and the way that they're doing preparedness right in their lifestyles of mobility and overlanding. So uh, thank you guys. And we'll uh, hopefully do another one of these and some yeah. more content here soon. So uh, you guys stay tuned and we'll catch you guys in the next podcast.